Oh, man. Well, Merry Christmas. Everybody good in here? So glad, so glad that you came. And uh, I know that Kurt welcomed you a moment ago, but I want to do the same. My name is Kenny, and I'm the campus pastor here. And I know a lot of people are already started traveling, and maybe you will start traveling uh, soon. And so I hope that you have a great time with friends and family and loved ones. And I also know Kurt said something a moment ago that I just want to echo. At Pink Elementary School, you guys just knocked it out of the park for these kids. And uh, there were so many stories that came back from just the difference that you made, not only of your time and your leadership and just going over there and caring and loving on the kids, but if you couldn't go, then you gave financially to help give those kids a Christmas that many of them, and this is the story we kept hearing, many of them will not get. Many of them will not get any presents whatsoever except for the stocking full of presents and gifts that you provided for them. And so their eyes lit up. They were unbelievably excited. And so I'm so grateful to be a part of your church family to where we really want to make a difference, uh, not just in the world, you know, just in the world, but literally in our own community. And, uh, and we can see the life change happening in these, uh, in these kids and in the families. So thank you, thank you for your generosity in so many different levels. And uh, God has used you all year, by the way. Um, this past year has been an amazing, so I want to give a shout out. If you serve on Sunday mornings in any capacity, thank you for providing uh, your, your time, your gifts, your energies to make environments for people to fall more in love with Jesus. In this room, we had over 400 adults uh, give their life to Christ in the past couple of years just because of the way you serve and the way you love people who come through those front doors. And so I am looking forward to 2020 where God we know is going to do more than we could ever ask or imagine as scripture says. And I'm looking forward to telling you about that in January. So uh, make sure you come to Christmas Eve service if you're in town and then join us in January for a series that we're kicking off. Okay. And that'll be a lot of fun. But today we are wrapping up a series that we've been in this December called Stuck at Christmas. And it's been so fun talking about uh, areas of our life where we get stuck and how do we get out of those stuck situations in our life, whether it be relationally, emotionally. And today we're going to talk about being stuck spiritually because I don't know if you've ever felt stuck spiritually in your relationship with God. I want to explain that and I want to talk about that today and uh, what did God do for us to become unstuck with Him and have a relationship with Him. You know, when you read the Old Testament, the Bible divided into two sections. You have the Old Testament, which is before Jesus, Jesus came, and then you have Jesus, and then you have the New Testament, which really writes about the difference that Jesus made in all of our lives and can have in all of our lives. In the Old Testament, you find uh, people trying to be made right with God. They do some things that God had asked them to do to be made right with him. But because of their guilt and shame and they knew something was wrong between that in their relationship with God, they would just start adding on to what they should do and things they shouldn't do that God never said for them to do. Well, by the time Jesus comes onto the scene, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things people had been told, oh, well, you got to do this if you want God to like you. And don't ever do that if you don't want God to like you. You know, I grew up in Alabama, so it was real simple. Uh, you don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go out with girls who do. There were only four of them. That was it, you know. But when Jesus came on the scene, there were hundreds and hundreds of laws that God never said. God never put on the table for people to have, but they really believed. They really believed that if we do these things, God will like us more. And so they were stuck. 
in their relationship with God, they were stuck in feeling separated from him and they were separated from him. And today I'm gonna read just a few verses from a guy who knew what it was like to be stuck, separated in a relationship from God. Now here's what you need to know about this guy. He didn't always feel that way. He actually felt he was closer to God than anyone. He was not only born on the right day, he was born in the right way. He wasn't just born in a church. He was born in the best church. He didn't just have a church pastor. He had the best spiritual church leader of the day you could possibly have. In fact, in the Bible, he lists his resume and then he just puts it on the table and says, do better than that, Jack. Nobody can beat me when it comes to being good. And he really did believe. I am good enough to be made right with God. He says it over and over. <laughs> Until he met Jesus. And that changed everything. Because Jesus looked at him and he went, what are you doing? His name was Paul. He goes, at the time, his name was Saul. He goes, Saul, what are you doing? You're killing me. You're killing my movement. You're killing the Jesus revolution. And he had no idea he was doing such a thing. And in that moment, he realized something. Oh my heavens, good people, good people do not, do not become right with God. Good people do not make it into the kingdom of God. Good people do not make it into heaven. And it was just a stark revelation for him that he had never thought about in his own life. Why? Because his good deeds were so unbelievable. I mean, they just stacked up. And he thought, all of my good deeds are good enough to get me in a right standing with God. And then Jesus says, dude, you're stuck like Chuck. Though your name ain't Chuck, you're stuck like him. And there ain't no way out, Paul. There ain't no way out. Except through me. So when Paul starts writing what we're going to read, he's writing from a perspective of a very, very, very religious man from a very, very religious culture. And then he sees it for what it really is, which is nothing, nothing. In the right standing with God, it means absolutely nothing because it will not, it will not, it will not get you where you want to be with him, which is a relationship with him. So that's what we pick up. In Galatians chapter four, this is the guy that I just told you about. He's writing. Now he's had a transition in his life. He has transitioned from rules, 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 rules into a relationship with Jesus. And then here's how he writes to help us understand a little bit about that. He says, Galatians chapter four, uh, verse four, but when the right time came, or maybe your Bible says when the time had fully come. In other words, God had a date on his calendar to send his son, and that date on the calendar would transition the entire thought process, if you allowed it, transition from a rules-oriented relationship with him into a relationship with him, not based on rules whatsoever. And if you weren't here in um, two weeks ago, I talked about this right time. Because in between the Old Testament and New Testament, just in case you weren't here, there were 400 years of silence. No prophets, no angels, no word of God, absolutely nothing. It's called the silent years. But this was our bottom line, if you remember. Even though God is silent, he is not absent. In your life, there will be a time where God seems silent. But it does not mean he's absent. And it does not mean he's not working. He worked for 400 years behind the scene and even longer getting ready for this day. And on this day, at this time, he sent his son. Now, it's interesting 
why he sent his son. Here's what it says. Galatians chapter four, verse four. But when the right time came on God's calendar, God sent, and I love that by the way. (laughs) God made the first move, you didn't. God made the first move. God initiated it. God pursued us as humans. God sent his son who was born of a woman, so was 100% man and also 100% God. By the way, that's why he couldn't be born of Joseph and Mary. Just had to be Mary. It's not just part of the cute little Christmas story. Had to be born of woman to be 100% man, yet not of Joseph, 100% God. Sent his son who was born of a woman and lived under the, what's the last word? Law, under the law. Now this is important. Jesus, in other words, came to live just like you just like you. And he lived under God's law of doing everything right. Now the law known as the 10 commandments, I'll talk about it in just a moment, but it's, I I love watching people when they get busted by the law. Yeah. I mean, it's like life is good for them. And then there is this, oh my heavens, I, I am completely busted and I don't know what to do. So most people, if you're like me, you go, well, what had happened was, I mean, you just start, right? Uh, I saw this clip by Jimmy Kimmel, and I absolutely love it because he's talking to kids about whether they should be on the nice list or the naughty list. And he helps them understand which list they're really on. Watch this. I think you'll get a kick out of it. You know, uh, with less than three weeks left until Christmas, Santa is very busy right now. So my friend Guillermo and I took it upon ourselves to help him figure out which children should go on the naughty list and which should go on the nice. We did this by hooking kids up to a lie detector. Now, the lie detector we used is fake, but the kids don't know that. So their answers are very real. (laughs) It isn't Sammy. Hello, Sammy. How are you? Good. Now, your brother was uh, just here. Uh, sitting in the chair. Do you know your brother? What is your brother's name? Fletcher. Fletcher said that you are a rough boy and that he's a gentle boy. Is that true? That is true. Do you just like to tackle him sometimes? And what happens when you tackle him? Does he get mad? He does. And what do you say when he gets mad? Sorry. You say sorry. Are you really sorry when you say it? Oh, wow. So you're not really sorry when you say it? No, not really. Well, I appreciate your honesty. Tell us about some of the mean things your brother Fletcher did this year. He bites me a lot of times. He bites you? I was asking you about some of the, some of the naughty things that you've done and you didn't mention biting your brother. Yeah, because I forgot that. Oh, you forgot that? Did you forget or you just didn't mention it to me? Um, I forgot. Have you done anything, anything at all naughty this year? No. <laughs> okay, now right off the bat, um, we, we're getting some um, lies, so just go ahead and tell me some of the naughty things you did. It's okay, but tell me the truth. And, and Well, uh, sometimes I don't really clean up after my dog because... Well, I know Santa does it because one night when we visited Virginia, it was Christmas Day, and I went on to my yard, and I'm like, what is that? It was big reindeer poop. Are you trying to stop picking your nose? Well, yeah. You are, yeah. How are you doing that? Well, we got a decision here where if I pick my nose, I lose a penny. 
You lose a penny? Yeah, and I'm trying not to pick any noses. Do you think it's better to give gifts or to get gifts? I think give. I mean like give from, like they give. They give, that's what I mean. They give. Oh, okay. All right. The question I'm asking is, do you think the true fairy is beautiful? Yes. Except for the mustache. <laughs> That is so good. And you're like, that's mean. No, that's funny right there. That's funny. You know, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because when you watch these kids, that they are, they're thinking to themselves, I think I can get away with it. Here's what I'm going to say. And maybe they respond accordingly because it goes off. But we as adults are no different. We're really not. Like we try to justify, and in our mind, we have reasons as to why we would say this or why we would do it, even though we know it's wrong. Now, what we read was that Jesus came just like we are under the law. Here's what that means. It means that God has a standard for us as human beings. Because he made us, he gets to present all the rules, and there's a standard. And here's the standard, perfection. Now, I've only talked to two people in my entire life. I've been in ministry since I was 18. I've talked to two people my entire life where if you were to ask them, if you were to die, do you think you'd go to heaven? I've only had two say to me, absolutely no way. No way. Only two. The other individuals that I talk to, they're either working on it or they think, absolutely, I'm going to heaven. And then when I ask, why do you think you're going to heaven? The response is usually always the same because I'm not a bad person. I'm a pretty good person. Well, here's the great thing. God gave us the good test. If you want to know, if you go on the naughty list or the nice list, he gave us the test to take. The lie detector test of God is the Ten Commandments. That's, that's what we examine ourselves to go, wow, how good am I really, God? And what list do I go on? So if you're in the room, if you've never taken the good test to find out if you go on the naughty list or the nice list, there are Ten Commandments. I'm just going to give you five real fast. One of them is that you do not use God's name in vain. Now, that's more than just in an anger kind of moment of going, or... You fill it in because you've used it. But that's like using God's name in vain of you take the uh, God who is holy, perfect, and righteous, who made you in his image, and you take his name in a moment of cursing or in a moment of anger. But it actually means more than that, that I am the one he made to reflect him, so I'm not reflecting his name properly is also a misuse of his name. Now, I'm guilty of that. Now, the word that's used in the Bible for that is blaspheme. Uh, you have blasphemed God's holy, righteous name in a way that dishonors him. I'm guilty of that one. One of them, real simple, is don't steal. God says, I'm always going to provide for you. Don't ever steal anything. So have you ever stolen anything? Doesn't matter the value, even if it's a stapler from work or a piece of paper or a pen from work. Doesn't matter the value. It's that it wasn't yours. What do we call people who steal things? Thieves, stealers. Yeah, that's right. Thieves. <laughs> they play football. Thieves. Right? Another one is real simple. God said, don't lie. Don't ever lie. I'm a God of truth. I want you to be a person of truth. Don't ever lie. What do we call people who tell lies? Liars. And if you're in the room and you have never done that, you just lied. So you're with the rest of us, okay? Now, Jesus showed up. 
And again, he was trying to help people understand this difference between keeping all the rules so God will like you and helping them understand every human being is a complete wreck before God. So he's standing with a bunch of church leaders at this one moment, and they are presenting to him their list of good deeds. And he basically uses the good test, the law, to help them understand how wrecked they really are. So he looks at them and he goes, well, you know the law, the Ten Commandments. Don't murder anyone. And they were all like, check, done that. Never done that. We're clean. And he goes, here's what you don't know. God looks at the heart. That's where he starts. So if you've ever looked at anyone and said these words, I hate them. I wish you were dead. God, I can't stand them. He says, you've already committed murder in your heart. He just quiets everyone. And he goes, you also know the law, one of the 10, do not commit adultery. And they were like, okay, that one, we're clean. I've got, I've got my wife and I've never ever, and he goes, well, well, God starts with the heart. If you've ever lusted after anyone and they're not your spouse, you've already committed adultery. So I just gave us five. I'm guilty of all five. So by our own, I'm just throwing you in there with me. <clears throat> because no perfect people are allowed. So by our own admission, I'll speak for us, with a lie detector on, if God's looking at us going, how good are you really? Let me ask you some questions. I stand guilty of blasphemy, his name, of being a thief, being a liar, a murderer at heart, and an adulterer. I'm guilty. And that's only five. And here's what the Bible says. Doesn't matter about the other five. You break one, you've broken them all. So God sent a rescuer for those who experience, I'm done. That's the beauty of Christmas, is that you could not pay him back for what you've stolen from him. You can't do it. So God sent his son. Why did God send his son? Verse five, God sent him, his son, to buy freedom because it's what we need when we're on the court stand for our life. And the word freedom there is actually redeemed. God sent him to redeem for us who were slaves to the law. Now, my birthday is December 17th. My son's birthday is December 12th. My other son's birthday is December 28th. Anybody else's birthday in December, by the way? Anybody share that with us? And Jesus, anybody in the room? Oh, right here, right, right there in the middle. Here's the deal, dude. I've got a, uh, I think you're a dude. I could be wrong. I'm not sure. And in today's world, you don't really know anyway, but we're going to call you a dude. I got a regal gift card for you right here for 25 bucks just because it's your birthday with Jesus. You want it? You want it? You want it? Come on. That's what I'm talking about right here. When is your birthday, by the way? What date is it? The 14th. You're almost with me. I'm going to give it, uh, Carl's going to help you out right there. A lot of great movies. Now, here's the deal. Go this way. Go this way. December 14th, go this way. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> Happy birthday, by the way, our gift to you. Now, I got a question for you. I want you to think about this for just a moment. How much did he have to pay to get a $25 gift card to go see the movies? Watch this. How much did I pay? $25. It was free to him. And it's only good if he goes to that counter and redeems it. 
That's what redemption means. A price has been paid by somebody, just not by him. And the only way it works if he goes to redeem what I spent my money on, then the transaction is made. When scripture says that God sent his son, here's the gift that God is giving humanity at Christmas is freedom. There's freedom. How much will your freedom cost you? Zero. How much did it cost him? Everything. To buy you back to buy you back from under the law that you cannot keep, that you owe God from, that God is saying, I want to give you freedom from trying to live with the mentality of, of, oh, I gotta pay you back. Oh God, I did this, so I've gotta pay you back. He's going, whoa, 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 you are so entrapped under the law when you live that way. I want you to see me differently. I want you to see life differently. So the gift I'm giving you is actually freedom. Now, the great thing is God didn't stop there. God goes even further, not just set you free. Here's what verse five says in the the latter part of it. God sent him, Jesus, to buy freedom, to redeem us who were slaves to the law. Why would he do that? So that he could adopt us as his very own children. This is amazing. This is a Christmas message for somebody in the room. Not only did God send his son so that you could experience freedom, from this debt-debtor relationship that you have with him, that you owe him, but you can't pay him back, that you live in a cycle of, oh my gosh, I did this, so I better go say a Hail Mary. Oh my gosh, I did this, so I better go to church. Oh my, he's like, I want you free. That is the law. I want you completely free from that. And not only do I want you free from living that way with me, I want to turn around and adopt you as my son or my daughter. Now, here's what's so amazing about that. I can set someone free from something and not care about them. A judge can set someone completely free and yet not care really anything about them. What's he doing? He's just going by the law. It's nice of him. It's kind of him. But God did not stop in setting you free. God said, whoa, 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 whoa. Now that you're free, now that you're free, I want to adopt you. I want you to be mine for the rest of eternity. Now, this is so important. When Paul wrote this to the Galatians, in the Roman world, adoption did not work the way we we think that it works in our world. The way it works in our world is someone says they're going to adopt a, a person. We don't think of it as an adult. We think of it as a child. They're adopting a little baby. They're adopting an elementary age kid. Oh, and it's so sweet. It's so beautiful. You know, and we put all the pictures on Facebook and and it is, it is an amazing experience for the whole family, friends, relatives, everybody's excited. In the Roman world, you would never do that. Ever. Would you ever adopt a child? That is crazy. So when he wrote this, that God wants to adopt you, their minds were like, you got to be kidding me. Here's why. In the Roman world, you would never, ever, ever adopt a child because you don't know if they're going to grow up and be an idiot or not. And if you had a lot of wealth, a lot of power, and a lot of authority, you would even look at your own kids and go, 
Uh-uh, a bunch of yahoos. There ain't no way. I'm leaving everything to them as a kid. Are you kidding me? Especially if they do the things that I did. In the Roman world, you adopted adults. Why? You check their character. You want to make sure they have a clean record. You, if they're going to get your name and your family, you're going to leave to them your authority. If it was a positional authority, you could pass down. You adopted adults who would be responsible with your money, responsible with your land, responsible with your cattle. Never a kid, because you don't know how they're going to turn out. So when Paul wrote this, that God wants to adopt you, the adults are reading it going, does he have any idea what I've done? Paul's going, that's the point. Doesn't he know that I'm a liar? That's the point. Doesn't he know that I'm an adulterer? That's the point. This is what makes Christmas so unbelievable. Is that God looks at the person in your chair. He knows your record. He knows every law you've broken. With him and literally. He knows your leanings. He knows your shortcomings. And yet he gives you the gift of adoption at Christmas going, I still love you. And I want to change your name. And I want you in my family. I want you to be mine. That's incredible. And that's the gift of adoption that God offers. Not babies, adults. I'm just going to jump out there and say it. You can get mad if you want. Screw-ups. Failures over and over and over. God says, I know. I knew, I do know, and I still want you to be mine. <laughs> and then he says this, he just kind of adds on to what that adoption looks like in verse six. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting or initiating or calling us to call out Abba Father. Now this is crazy too, because they didn't understand this whole Abba Father with God. They knew God creator, Elohim, Jehovah, um, they, they, and rightfully so. The only time Jesus ever used this word Abba Father, one time in scripture, only one time, it was when he was in the garden, before it all was about to go bad for him. He's in the garden, weeping, blood coming through his pores, which is a medical condition that actually happens under an extreme amount of stress. He knows what he's about to face. And in these moments on his knees, he says these words, Abba, Father, please don't let this happen to me. The disciples are like, what? He just, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> We've known him as God, Jehovah, Elohim, he just called him Abba. Abba is, it, it's not quite daddy, but it's more than dad. It's like, it's like, it's like right in, I just made that up. Quit laughing at me. It's, but that's what it is. It's like right in the middle. It's, it's like this tender, this, this, it's like this little kid in a moment of trouble, 
in a moment of pain or in all of excitement of something great going on and he wants to say thank you. It's Abba. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit is a gift in a person's life who says yes to him and it changes everything about how they see him. And I love, here's why, here's, here's the difference. Are you ready? Verse seven is the difference. Now you are not a slave. That's the difference. You know what a slave does? A slave looks at their owner and goes, you just tell me what to do so I can make you happy. Tell me where not to go so I can make you happy. Tell me how you want me to talk to you so I can make you happy. And the slave owner has a list. I want you here at this time. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I want you to do this. I don't want you ever to do this. Stay away from this. Stay away from this. And here, he's writing going, you don't look at God that way anymore. Don't pray that way anymore. You are a child, Abba Father. I'm so glad I'm not your slave anymore to the law of making you happy by keeping rules, by not keeping rules. Listen, rules would take care of themselves if God gets our heart. We ain't got to worry about a list of rules to keep him happy when he is your happy as your Abba Father. You want to please him. You don't have to please him so that he'll like you. Do you see what I'm saying? It's such a difference between the law and grace and relationship. This is the story of Christmas. He goes, now you are not a slave. You are God's child and God will give you the blessing he promised. Why? Because you are his child. And uh, in the original language, it says you are his heir. You are an heir of his. And he will give you what he has promised. What does he promise? It's God's gift as well at Christmas of a future. Satan always will remind you of your past because that's what he has on you. Your past, your past. When you read scripture, God is always talking about your future. Always talking about it. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. This is God's voice. This is the Holy Spirit's voice in your life. If you're stuck in your past, God says, I want to give you a future. It's my gift to you. It costs you nothing. Cost me everything so that you could become my child. And that's how I wrote it down. God sent his son. It's Christmas. This is the message. God sent his son so you could become his child. That's the message. An invitation of Christmas. You know, I talked about adoption a moment ago. I have seen videos of when kids are adopted and some of the kids cry and it's emotional. It's awesome. It's incredible. And I actually had one of those videos I was going to show you this morning, but I found another one. And it's from the perspective of the dad. And I thought that is what we're going in with today. Watch this video. Brennan, I have so much fun with you. You are always there for me. And you're always nice to me. Unless you're hungry, LOL. You have invested time to teach me how to be a man and to help me be the best that I can be.
I know that it isn't always easy. I know I have a Father in Heaven that loves me. But I'm thankful for you and the love and support that you give me every day. You are hard on me, but I know it's because you love me. And you want me to learn lessons and achieve great things someday. So, this Christmas, I want to ask you if I could be your only boy officially. Will you please adopt me? I might should have warned you, huh? When I saw that video, there was just something in me that just went, God, that's how you feel when we asked. Because you got to ask. I want you. I need you. Would you come in and rescue me? The perspective of your heavenly father is very emotional. Now, where do you get that from? Well, here's just one verse. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst. And isn't that Christmas? Emmanuel, God with us. A mighty one who will save, save you from that dilemma of the law that you have with him. He will, here it is, rejoice over you with gladness, not condemnation. He will quiet you by his love and in his embrace. And he will sing and be joyful over you. That's it right there. So God's gift on the table for you this Christmas is the best gift you will ever receive if you've never received it. It is a gift of freedom. It is a gift of adoption. And it is a gift of a future that he has for you. And if you have never received him, the gift of all gifts, I want to give you a moment to do that. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And maybe that's you. And just like Brennan said to this man who would become his legal father forever, maybe you want to say that to God and just tell him, say, God, I want you to adopt me. You know my sins. I've broken your law. But I'm grateful you sent your son to buy my freedom. And the best way I know how, I surrender to him. Make him Lord of my life. And you as my father, I receive your gift of freedom. I receive your gift of adoption. And I receive your gift of a future with you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming into my life today and making me your child. God, thank you for what you do in this room each and every Sunday. You change our lives because it's what we need. God, we don't need just to become better people. That doesn't work for us. We need to become different people. And your Holy Spirit does that by changing us from the inside out. We're so grateful for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ that we're reminded everywhere we go and we hear the songs that you are a God who is Emmanuel, God with us, sent your son to pay for our freedom. But it wasn't enough for you because out of joy of a heart wanting to sing and celebrate, 
You handed us papers to be adopted as your child. And we say thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.